up in episode six of New York Groove. There's a lot of sticky stuff to get into when it comes to baseball and the New York Islanders, a pivotal game seven, all coming up next on episode six of New York Groove. Let me tell you about Last Out Media. Last Out Media is a podcast studio located just over an hour away from the New York area. It has professional equipment, engineers, and coaches that'll make your show sound amazing. In fact, that's where I'm recording from right now. So if you... You, you, you want to improve your podcast, just head over to lastoutmedia.com. Let me tell you, it is the week of nausea for one reason and another. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode six of New York Groove. I am your host, Brian McCann. The esteemed Vince Quinn is behind the glass. Howdy. The song, No One Knows by the Queens of the Stone Age. Vince, do you know who plays drums on this song? Uh, That would be one Dave Grohl. One Dave Grohl. What can't he do? I'm going to tell you what he can't do because I saw him at Madison Square Garden in the first concert back. The world was back, people. And so was I, some would suggest. <laughs> some would suggest is right. More on that later. I wasn't back. Uh, a lot of things happened in that concert, but we'll get back to that later. Fat Percentage is going to be a good one this week. And the interview is great, too. We're going to have Dan Lust, a sports attorney, joining us. That's a fun talk. Because, like, you never know what athletes, how athletes connect with their lawyers. Because that's kind of like some behind-the-scenes stuff. There's a lot to get into when it comes to New York sports. And the one thing that I really need to get into first... Vince? Yeah. And I think you want to discuss this too. A lot of sticky stuff going on. A lot of pants dropping. Yeah. <laughs> About that. And that of the MLB. Uh, the Yankees have been playing well lately. They're, uh, today's Thursday and they're pl- we're recording this in the afternoon. They're currently leading the Royals. After game one of this series, you had a bad feeling in your stomach. They played Oakland really well and you had that feeling of, oh God, they're going to take two of three from Oakland and then they're going to lose to the Royals. And they're just going to have this continuous flotation of beat a good team, lose to a crappy team, beat a good... And they just play in this this, this otherworldly form of mediocrity that they were going to sit in. But no, no. They come back Wednesday night to beat Oakland in maybe the most exciting game of the year. They're winning now. They beat Kansas City. Maybe they're going to win the today on Thursday you're starting to have a little bit of confidence and you know who's playing great who just came off the DL? That is Luke Voigt. Luke Voigt is crushing dingers, as he likes to say. And that has a very A-Rod 2009 coming off the DL kind of feel. IL, I'm sorry. I'm so offensive. Coming off the IL at this time, if Luke Voigt can come in and give this offense a sort of a spark, you may be cooking with something here because if Judge keeps playing the way he's playing at an all-star level... John Carlos Stanton's playing at an all-star level. If Luke Voigt's going to hit you at that level and the other guys are just going to stay as consistently as they've been, all you got to do is string together wins. In fact, the key in baseball, as I always like to say, it's not about winning individual games. It's about winning series. You have to continue to win series. Yankees are fine when it comes to that. When it comes to the off the off move that's going to come up in July, there's a couple of moves they have to make. Their bench needs to improve. You can't keep going with Tyler Wade for rest days. You clearly need a backup first baseman because if Luke Voigt's going to go down, you can't keep bringing up the Chris Gittens of the world to hit 190. There's trouble. There's the, I'm not fully confident that the Yankees are going to figure it out yet. I'm not, I'm not seeing that convincing style of wins yet, but what I am seeing from them is progress. I'm seeing them start to score runs. Okay, the bullpen's starting to struggle a little bit, but I'm seeing them start to score runs, and that's what matters most to me. When I go over to the other side of New York with the Mets, it really confuses me here. The injuries keep piling up with them, but for some reason, they keep winning games. Their lineup is a double-A lineup. They're they're rotating guys nonstop back and forth from triple-A to here, and yet they keep winning ballgames. And if you're the Mets, if you're a Mets fan, that's got to give you all the confidence in the world because they're just— they're not even treading water. Well, you know, three episodes ago when I spoke to you about the Mets, it was that was the goal. Get through these injuries and just tread water. Even if you go five games under 500 in the next 20, you take that because the division is crappy and you'll be able to survive. They're still playing well. Now, they're struggling to score runs, but everyone in baseball seems to be struggling to score runs. But the Mets are still being productive. You've gotten Lindor up to a sizzling 220 now. He's, hit, he's hitting better. The bullpen has been surprisingly very well. You're starting to get a little more confident every time you see Edwin Diaz come out of the bullpen. The starting pitching you're going to need to stay healthy because DeGrom has had all these issues. But I got to tell you, Vince, I don't know if you feel the same way. Every time Jacob DeGrom takes the mound, 
I'm beside myself. I I legitimately think he's going to throw a no-hitter every time he steps out of the mound. He's that impressive. It's it's absolutely beyond belief incredible. Now, Jacob deGrom, Garrett Cole, Max Scherzer, Sergio Rome, what do they all have in common? What do they all have in common in the last week in their last start? Uh, did they all take off their pants? No, not they, all of them. <laughs> Here's the okay. problem with baseball, and and you 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 institute this rule on Monday where we're going to start checking the guys for sticky substances. And I'm okay with the institution of that rule. I am. You want to get rid of that in the game? Now, coming up with the institution of that rule in the middle of a season, probably a little stupid. But if you want to come up with it now and you think this is going to... Now, here's why they came up with the rule midseason. I'll tell you why. I have the answer to that. Do you want the answer? No, I would hate the answer. How okay. dare you give well, me I'm going to give answer. it to you anyway because right. it's my show and that's how it's going to yeah, work. Yeah, fair, fair. The answer to that is because they saw the first two months of the season with teams struggling to score runs. No one could score to save their lives. And I'll tell you what, in the last two weeks since this was brought up and this was told this was going to happen, batting averages are up 20% in baseball and runs, runs, run scoring is up. That's the point of doing all this. It makes sense, okay? But you're clearly starting to see the delineation between guys who are using it for advantage, clearly, and guys who are using it to actually get a better grip on the baseball because they don't want to hit people. You're seeing that. These... Hall of Fame type pitchers. Look at the guy. Jacob DeGrom. Did his last start get affected by the use, not using sticky stuff? Absolutely not. Uh, Garrett Cole. Affected? Absolutely not. Max Scherzer in Philadelphia the other night. Affected? Absolutely not. The greats are going to be the greats. So, am I going to necessarily consider that maybe this stuff was just being used to get a grip on the baseball? Maybe they were telling the truth. In a world where the guys actually told the truth, we could have been on that track. But instead, baseball seems to be the sport that shoots itself in the foot constantly. You know what baseball is? Baseball is the guy who shoots himself in the foot and is like, I'll be fine. That's what they think. <laughs> I'm going to, self-inflicted wounds are what has killed Major League Baseball for years and years and years. And we're still on that path and we're still on that path. Coming out of this last week, if you've paid attention to sports in the last week, every time I watch a baseball game and I'm seeing an, an inning change and they're checking guys, they should be playing Ringling Brothers circus music in the background. It's a complete clown show. It, it's a joke watching this guy check the guy's brim. They're making umpires rub the inner guy's, the, the guy's inner hat. Someone, the umpire in the Philly game rubbed his, his hand through Max Scherzer's hair. Yeah, like that. What are we doing? It's gotten to the point. I mean, you checked Max Scherzer three times. Three times. This guy is on a fast track to the Hall of Fame. Okay? Bonafide Hall of Fame pitcher, whether he's using sticky stuff or not, he's a Hall of Famer. It's, I get you want to check him once. I get Girardi even requesting to check him once. I'm okay with that. Girardi cited after the game. I wanted him to check because he was touching his hair way more than he usually does. I'm cool with that. To check him three times, there's got to be a certain point where umpires say, enough. Okay? You want to know what the NHL does? You can't have your stick longer than a certain length in the NHL. It's not allowed. It's illegal. Okay? Because think about it. If, you're just, if your stick is nine feet long, a defenseman can make any play he wants. Yeah. A coach can request a guy's stick to be checked. You also, and in the NHL, can't have your stick blade curved up to a certain length. Because the more curvature, the better of an angle you can create on the puck and better shots you can make. You can't have certain things. The coaches can request those to be checked. You know what happens though if the coach requests to be checked and he's wrong? It's a power play for the other team. Really? Yes. So if you're baseball and you, because here's what coaches are going to start doing now in baseball, okay? This is what managers are going to start doing constantly. This is not going to be a, to sit here and think that Joe Girardi three times just wanted Max Scherzer checked because he really thought something was going on. No, that's not what's happening. Do you know why he wanted Max Scherzer checked? Because Max Scherzer was dealing and Girardi wanted to throw him off his game. And you know what happened? He threw him off his game. That's exactly what happened. The other day, Sergio Romo pitching for the Athletics. He was dealing, right? Three innings of relief, dealing, playing great. They wanted him checked. So Sergio Romo coming off the field, you know what he did? Took off his hat, took off his glove, unbuttoned his pants, lowered his pants. Stood there in his underwear on a baseball field making a mockery of the sport because 
Rob Manfred was so insistent on doing this so quickly, this is what happens. The players are going to start making a mockery. Vince, as I told you two weeks ago, I'm going to tell you again, you're wearing a beautiful old school Phillies hat right now. Yeah. Vince, if you're a baseball fan and you enjoy the summer experience of going to a baseball game, get to one because you're not going to go to one in the next year. You're not. No. There will be a lockout. There has to be. I mean, there's too many problems. And for now, something like this to come together where pitchers are talking about getting hurt, you're changing the way the game is played. And and this is the only thing that resonates with baseball. Like, they don't have good news that covers it up. Like, if the NFL has a controversy, there's a game, there's a contract, there's some other storyline that can take something away from all of that pressure and perception. Baseball doesn't have that. So, like, publicly, privately, they don't have anything going for them. And when it's this kind of level of distrust, there's no way it's going to work. They're, they're not playing next no, year. No, because now happening. the players are all on the same side. See, I was making the point a few weeks ago, maybe the owners were trying to split them. And you had that with Donaldson and Cole. You had that split where players are going at each other. Now they're all united on this stupid crap. And I beg, if Josh Donaldson listens to New York Groove on a regular, which I've heard he does. Oh, big fan. Josh. Was it the right move to call Garrett Cole out? Because look at it now, baby. Now you're sports a circus. I'm serious. You're watching this happen in baseball. The players are making a mockery of it. And then you get Rob Manfred who comes out. The players were even saying, why doesn't our our, uh, commissioner come out and answer questions and speak to the media? I don't know why he doesn't. Why isn't there a State of the Union? The NFL has one. The NHL has one. The NBA has one. MLB, now we're good. He'd go, to the wrong, he'd go to the wrong venue. Yeah. Rob Manfred would have no idea what it's he's just, doing. It's become such a joke, and there were years and years and years where, hey, you want to talk about Roger Goodell? Everyone hates Roger Goodell, right? Everyone calls him the worst guy in, in sports, the worst commissioner in sports. I don't think so. Because here's the thing. The NFL, every year, up in popularity. Every single year, that sport is more popular. That sport is generating more money. Look at, go back to four or five years ago with the Kaepernick situation and the kneeling. Think about that. That was, to everyone, public perception was completely split on that sport. Completely split. What happened, Vince? The sport got more popular in the next five years. They're signing bigger TV deals. Guys are making more money. Two years after that, Kirk Cousins got a fully guaranteed contract. The first guy ever to have that happen in the NFL. The NFL keeps rising in popularity. Roger Goodell got an extension, okay? And everyone wanted to go crazy when Roger Goodell signed that extension, right? $40 million a year salary. He got his own private plane. He's got his own office in Park Avenue in New York City. Everyone had a problem with Roger Goodell's contract. But you know what, Vince? There's a reason why he got that contract. He's employed by the owners. He got that contract because he makes them a whole load of money. Yeah. That's why he got that deal. He's a master of it. One of the things that I saw that they're going to be doing now is they're going to start taking bids on where to have the combine, which is brilliant. Same way the with combine. the combine. Yes. But think about that. The the combine, it's essentially a bunch of college kids working out in their underwear. That's what they're running routes. They're catching footballs. They're benching. That's all the combine is. It's a physical. It's a glorified physical yeah. for sports. And they take bidding on where it's going to be held. Think about the psychoticness of that. It's brilliant. You know, every, the thing. you know every sport has a combine, right? Every single yeah, one? D- people don't realize that because who the hell cares about the baseball, hockey, and and, and, and basketball combine? Yeah. But they all have combines. Where the hell are those hold, held? Hockey's is held in Buffalo. No one cares. Yeah, I had no idea. The NFL combine is broadcasted on television. People sit down and watch that. Better yet, name me a draft other than the NBA, that's got a little bit of buzz around it. But it's only the first round of the draft that the NBA people care about. Yeah. The NHL, there's people, NHL fans care about their draft. Baseball fans could care less about their draft. NHL fans care. The NFL draft is a fully broadcasted thing. It beats out shows like Big Bang Theory at its height. <laughs> so, as much as you want to kill Roger Goodell and say he's the worst commissioner ever, he's figuring something out. He's doing something right. On the other side, Rob Manfred doing a hell of a lot wrong. You know, football plays now 17 games a year. 17, right? How many games is that in total? Let's say 200, 300, something range, right? For all teams. I don't even Yeah. Know. Maybe that number is wrong. Who cares? It's a so, lot of games. Something like that. Yeah, it's a lot. Baseball plays 162 per team. The NFL generates $15 billion per year. 
Want to know what baseball generates? Roughly $9 billion. They're making less money playing about, I don't know, 12 times more games. And I'm not making the case that every baseball game is as significant as every NFL game. It's not. The NFL is a more popular sport. But I want to let you people remember that baseball is once again America's pastime. And no one cares. It's 2021. No one cares. Okay? It's 2021. You have players with umpires rubbing their hands through players' heads and players pulling their pants down on the field. Okay? You have batters complaining about pitchers using sticky stuff to get grips. They don't hit the batters. That's what you have. So, you're a big baseball fan? I am. I love the sport. Love everything about it. Okay? No one cares. The sport is is, is a utter clown show right now. It is. It's run by the wrong guy. I, I would not be remotely surprised in 2022 if the owners want Rob Manfred out of there. But here's why. That won't happen. Rob Manfred is doing everything they ask of him. Rob Manfred is respected by them. Is He, he, he gives them everything they want. And they're still making money off their teams. So why the hell would he be out of a job? The people, you know whose bosses are? The owners. And the owners ain't moving him nowhere. They ain't. They should think about it. They should, but it's not going to happen. The players want him gone. The owners don't. The players hate Manfred. The fans hate Manfred. The owners don't. And that's why he ain't going anywhere. Well, yeah. Baseball's in a horrible spot, Vince. It's in a horrible spot. It's depressing for me to think about because I love the sport so much. But I mean, the last week with players being, you want to know how stupid this new rule has got? Okay, Jonathan Loizaga has been nothing short of clutch for the Yankees all year, right? He's been one of their best bullpen arms. He's a kid that's been up and down out of the minors the last five years trying to find a spot in the league. Finally found his spot as like an eighth inning role guy That's because Zach Britton's been hurt all year. And any Yankee fan that watches them know Johnny Lasagna, as we call him, has been great this year. He has, okay? He had his worst outing of the year Tuesday night, by far, right? Garrett Cole goes seven innings, of two-run ball, nine strikeouts. What else can you ask of Garrett Cole without sticky stuff? Checked him like seven times because we needed to do that. You want to know what happened to Johnny Lasagna as he came in to shut it down in the eighth inning? Only goes two-thirds of an inning, gives up four runs. Worst outing of the, uh, of the year by far for this guy. Okay? Borderline all-star. That's how good he's been. Worst outing of the year. Aaron Boone comes out of the dugout to remove Johnny Lasagna from the game. Jonathan Lewisaga is walking towards the dugout and the umpire stops to check him. Here's how stupid this rule is. A, he's leaving the ball game. Why are you checking him now? Check him before he starts throwing a pitch. Why would you check him as he's walking out? If he's walking out of the game, okay, and the umpire looks at his hand, and it looks like he just wiped his backside with his hand in pine tar. Does it really matter? Does it really matter at that point? I'll give you the answer. No, it doesn't because he's out of the game. None of that would matter. But you're going to check him now? What's going to happen to lasagna? You're gonna, What? You're going to suspend him? Go ahead. He's a bullpen arm. Do the Yankees care? But here's the better part about it, Vince. He comes in and gives up four runs in two-thirds of an inning. If he was using the sticky stuff, the athletics would have been okay with it. They would have been okay with him using it because it's working for the athletics. He's not pitching well. He's not pitching effectively with the sticky stuff. It ain't working for him. They don't care that he's using it at that point. So if he's you, you're checking the sticky stuff on these guys, right? Let me get this straight, Rob Manfred, if you're listening, because I've also heard he's a big fan. If you're checking for sticky stuff, whether it's spider tack, whether it's rosin and sunscreen, whatever it is, you're checking because you don't want guys to get an advantage, an unfair advantage, increasing their RPMs. Jonathan Luizaga Gave up four runs in two-thirds of an inning. It ain't helping him. So why are we checking when he's done? Check him when he's jogging in from the bullpen, you dunce. God. With that being said, I mentioned at the start of the show, Vince, it's been a week of nausea. Yeah. Something that made me really nauseous last night. (laughs) 
the Islanders took care of business at the old Collie and sent it to Game 7. Now, I was super confident after Game 5 because Tampa took care of business in Game 5 in their home building and took the Islanders down 8-0. I was feeling even more confident in beginning of Game 6 because, you know, every team in the first five games of this series that scored the first goal had won. Scoring the first goal in the postseason in the NHL, so important. So, so, so important. Tampa scored the first goal. In fact, Tampa scored the first two goals of Game 6. Mm. But it wasn't enough. The Islanders were able to come back. That stadium was rocking. They scored a goal late in the third. And now let me tell you something that annoys me about the way NHL teams seem to play. I've been watching NHL playoff hockey for a really long time, Vince, and every team seems to go on this mantra. You get a lead in the third period, and for the last 20 minutes, you decide to play that entire 20 minutes of just dump and chase, get it out of your zone, we're going to play defense. For, we see it in every sport, I feel like, right? Football happens all the time in a playoff game, right? You get a 14-point lead going into the fourth quarter, and the team just decides, you know what? We're going to play defense and protect for the next 40 minutes, the, ne- the next 15 minutes. Don't, am I wrong? Yeah, no, it's what it is. Uh, favorite term is in soccer, they call it parking the bus. Yeah, and here's the, the problem. You half in sports you have to keep on pushing if you have a I get it more in hockey when you have a 4-1 lead in the third period and you're going to play a more defensive style of the sport I get that but when you've got a 2-1 lead keep pushing keep trying to score goals don't be don't be overly aggressive as if you're losing but play safe but keep playing your game Tampa you got here because of your game don't vow don't and they veered from it last night last night the crowd got in their heads and they played a defensive style of hockey the entire third period, and it came back to bite them. Islanders score, make it 2-2. We go to overtime, bad pass across the middle. Clutterbuck scores. We're going to game game seven. Best two words in sports, right? Game seven. I'm going to tell you this, Vince, and this is not coming from a, a fandom point. I'm actually saying this how I believe, okay? Early in that game, game six, there was a really bad cross check to the back of Nikita Kucherov, the island, the, the Lightning best player. There's still no update on him on how he's feeling. I gotta think he's gonna play because hockey players are tougher than anything. You gotta think he's playing in Game Seven. If Nikita Kucherov plays in Game Seven, the Lightning will win. The Lightning will win. He's too good of a player. Braden Point's playing too well as a center of that line, and Steven Stamkos is finally starting to score. Tampa's also a difficult place to play. If he plays in that game and you have your top line player, they'll win. Here's why. Lightning would have won last night if Nikita Kucherov didn't leave in the first period. You know why they would have won? Watch that last power play. Tampa Bay gets a power play with about three minutes left in the game last night. Controversial call because State Islander Stadium is going crazy. It's a tie game. It's 2-2. And now you just gave the road team a power play where if they score, they effectively win the series. And Andre Palat had to play on the power play in Nikita Kucherov's spot. And there was a point in that game when, Vince, if you ever watch a hockey game with me, it doesn't even matter if the Rangers are playing. It doesn't even matter who I bet on, to be honest with you. I just like watching good good players in the sport. I think we've all done this in hockey. Is you see a player in the middle of the ice on offense get the puck and just freeze. It happens in all sports. It happens in basketball. It happens in all sports. And you just scream at the television, shoot! Yep. Andre Palat did that last night, and he was on the power play for the Lightning instead of Kucherov, in place of Kucherov. I can guarantee you, Vince, if Kucherov had the puck there in the middle of the ice with his shot, that puck was going in, we're celebrating in Tampa, and we're moving on. But instead, Palat had the puck, he froze, didn't shoot, passed it off, broken up play, Islanders went up winning that game. If Kucherov plays in Game 7, they'll win. If Kucherov has to sit because he's that hurt, it's going to be a battle. Lightning can still win without Kucherov. They can. They're that talented, but it's going to be tough. It's going to be really, really tough. And another issue to close out that I had with the ending of that game. So, fans didn't know. You had no idea of knowing. But potentially, that could have been the last game ever played at the Nassau Coliseum. And I hope it was. I hope they burn it down seconds <laughs> after that Game 7 ends. <laughs> Obviously, you can play more games there if they go to the Stanley Cup final, but if they lose game seven, it's over. So the fans were treating that as if it's the last game ever at the Coliseum. 
rightfully so. Yeah. Right? Islanders score. Cal Clutterbuck scores that goal in overtime. He dives into the boards, goes crazy. As a sports fan, really fun to, to see a moment like that. I, I hate it because it's the Islanders, but fun moment to see there, right? And how do a lot of fans react in baseball games? Have you seen the baseball game reaction when, when big things happen in the postseason? They, uh, they, they call the bleachers in Yankee Stadium the splash zone in the playoffs because whenever they hit a home run, beer goes flying <laughs> up in the air and it's, you get soaking wet, but it's like a fun. So it's, it's really enjoyable. You don't mind being covered in alcohol at that point. Okay. So the end of that game, last game ever at the Collie fans start chucking beer cans onto the ice. Right. And is it dangerous? Sure. It is. Is it frowned upon? Sure. A lot of things are frowned upon in the world. Okay. Old ladies frown upon tattoos. My right arm is covered. I don't really care if things are frowned upon. If I was an Islander fan and I was at that game last night, I would have chucked my half to less than half full beer onto the ice. Full beer, no. You're going to maybe chug it and then chuck it. Well, yeah, that's that's what you do. Why are you throwing the can if you got beer in it? Eddie Olchek calls the game, right, for for NBC with Kenny Albert, but he's the, he's the color guy. Game ends. Fans chucking. And Eddie Olchek goes... Berserk. Oh, why are they throwing things on the ice? This is horrible. How could, oh my God, the players are going to get hurt. Oh my, flipping out. And now the ice is fairly covered in beer cans. I don't know if you've seen the pictures. It's pretty, it's pretty pelted with beer cans. Yeah. Eddie, the players just skated for 65 minutes at 20 miles per hour being slammed into the boards. Okay. There were two fights in the game where guys dropped their gloves and aimed fists at the other guy's nose. On power plays, offensive possessions, the players were diving in front of pucks that are frozen pieces of rubber being pelted a hundred miles an hour plus at these guys' knees, shins, chest, sometimes face. They're taking high sticks in the face to their nose and eyes, bleeding. For 65 minutes, do you really think a half-full piece of aluminum is going to hurt them that much? He's reacting as if they're projectile, throwing projectile missiles onto the ice. As if a beer can is a shotgun. <laughs> Eddie, come back to us. It's a moment of euphoria. And I hate the Islanders. I hate their fans, Okay. Listen to the last few episodes. I nearly had a meltdown two weeks ago because I hate them so much. Do you know what these last two months have done to my life? Watching them continuously win? I hate them. I can't stand them, okay? I had no problem with that last night. Enjoy your moment, Islander fans, because you're going to be really upset on Friday night when the season ends. But enjoy your moment. That's what sports are all about. Pure euphoria. Oh my God, the guy was reacting as if the, as if a beer can is Islander fans chucking up with shotguns firing at the players. Calm down, buddy. If you throw a beer can from the top level and it falls down and hits Matt Barzell after he just played 30 minutes of ice time, got plunked into the boards millions of times, blocking shots... You really, he's going to be pissed off if he got hit by a beer can, but you really think it's going to hurt him? Is it going to injure him? Come on, dude. Come, they're not glass bottles. It's a, it's a, it's a aluminum can. The reaction was just, my God. Oh, they got to get these players off the ice. Oh, they're throwing, these cans are coming flying from every direction. Really? It's the last ever game at that building. Vince, you have a problem with that? No, it's fine. And also, if you're an Islanders fan, it's not like you're trying to chuck it at your guys. No! They're you know? not aiming for like, their players. They're aiming for the, the parts of the ice that players aren't on. Yeah. Now, if you if you watch hockey at the end of a hockey game, they all the players congregate in the middle of their of their ice and they hold their sticks up to the, salute the crowd. And this was an important salute because, again, it could very well be the last game ever played at the Coliseum. And let's be real, all the fans know and the players know we got no shot in Game 7. This is our last game ever played here. So they're saluting their crowd and the fans are all throwing their beers in the other ends of the ice. It's not that big of a deal, Eddie. 
Even if the ice gets destroyed, so what? It's the last ever game played there. Wow. Yep. How annoying is that? It, it, so ridiculous, so harmless. Not a big deal. Going out of his way to kill the crowd, and and uh, I, I saw a good quote, and I, I wanted to I wanted to give this to you guys once more before we're out of here, on 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 why the Coliseum means so much to that fan base, and I'll tell you why. It's a dump, it, and then they'll admit it to you. The, the stadium's a dump, okay, but it's got you know no luxury suites, no bad amenities for the media. The stadium's got no sense of uh, of fancy areas to sit, bars, restaurants. The, the lines for the bathroom are around the concourse. They don't even have an upper level. It's just one level, one concourse. It's, it's a dump. But Islander fans refer it to their dump. For the reasons why they call it it's so bad are also the same reasons why they love it so much. The new building will be gorgeous. New USB arena. They're going to have 17,000 packed seats. It's going to be beautiful. But... It's their dump, and that's why they love it. They need a new building, yes, but in a celebration in what I hope is the last game ever played there, okay, now I'm so fearful for Game 7. I really hope they don't advance. Go I Bolts. I really hope. Go Bolts. Go Bolts, go. That's right. On that note, I want to let you know before we get to Fat Percentage that New York Groove is brought to you by Galaxy Vinyl. It's located in Old Bridge, New Jersey. Galaxy specializes in all automotive customization, and it's one of the leaders in the car detailing business. It offers many options like vinyl wrap, window tinting, caliber painting, and powder coating. Vince, Galaxy Vinyl is the place to go if you want your car looking top of the line. If you head over to 1225 US Route 9 or give them a call at 732-527-4500. That's 732-527-4500. They'll make your car look out of that out of this world. Vince, the stuff that they've done, if you check out their Instagram page too, Unbelievable. Their cars, I mean, they're just making, they're detailing every kind of car, fancy sports cars, regular dad cars. Doesn't really matter. Doesn't really matter, Vince. Everyone feels better about themselves when they're driving a nice car, right? I want to get to something that doesn't make me feel good at all and a great, great addition of fat percentage. All right. So, Vince, uh, we discussed, what was this, two weeks ago, right? When the Foo Fighters announced their return to the garden that I was going. Bought my tickets, was very excited, and I went to the show. I'll give you my review on that show really quick. It was amazing. It was really incredible. I had one of the more unbelievable times in my life. I went with one of my better friends, and it was just, they they were great. I mean, they brought out guests the entire time. They, Dave Chappelle came out. Really? And sung Creep by Radiohead. Wait, Dave Chappelle <laughs> yeah. sang Creep? Sang Creep by Radiohead. That's amazing. How was he? Amazing. Great. He sang awesome. Really? Did yeah. he hit like the she? Yeah. You know, like yeah. he, he hit that? Yeah. Oh my God. It I was, didn't know Chappelle was, could do that. Neither did I. And it was fantastic. And, you know, they brought out Brian May from Queen to play Somebody to Love. I mean, it was it was an incredible night. Wow. Dave, and for Somebody to Love, Dave Grohl played drums. So which is, I mean, you can't, when he steps back to a drum set after singing all night, and you, if you know Dave Grohl's career, he obviously played drums in Nirvana. That, that's, that's, that's really exciting. That's awesome. That's awesome stuff. So great, right? Great, great time for the concert. Now, I mean, this all, I'm going to tell a story, folks, and it's a great story, and this all ties into Fat Percentage, okay? <laughs> but I'm going to incorporate Fat Percentage into a giant, long story. Maybe not giant or long, but stick around. It's, it's worth it, yeah, I promise. It's definitely worth it. So, I was working at one of my, one of my other employers the other day, right? During the Foo Fighter concert, before the Foo Fighter concert, right? And I had a break in between 11 and 2 in my shift, right? The Foo Fighters open up their merch stand at noon. So I'm like, all right, I'll go down to the garden and get merch. Now, I walked out of the building of where I work and see a giant parade going down 6th Avenue in Manhattan. There's a bunch of guys making burritos out of like grills in the city. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, how I feel about food. Got me in the mood for a burrito, but I wasn't going to order it from one of those guys. Because you don't know where they get their meat or how they're cooking. It made me a little fearful. Okay, yeah. But I was in the mood for a burrito. So I walk down to Madison Square Garden. I get my merchandise. I see a line going down 7th Avenue for the pit, like at noon. So we're talking eight hours before the Foo Fighters hit the stage. But just awesome experience, really. Walking back and I need lunch and I'm like, I need to get some lunch, but I need a burrito from a credible place, right? Now, the I, I, I'm a fan of Moe's. I'm a Moe's guy when it comes to the three. There's three chains of, of burritos out there, right? There's... Moe's, there's Chipotle, and there's Qdoba. 
I'm a Moe's girl. Okay. <laughs> okay. But I've been to Chipotle three times in my life. And all three times I have gotten violently ill from my experience there. Like violently? Violently ill. Yes. Really? So every time though, I went up questioning myself that it can't possibly be Chipotle because everyone loves Chipotle. So it's got to be me, right? It's got to be just a bad three times. That's all it is. It's a small sample size. It's got to be a bad three times. So I decide on Sunday, I'm going to get Chipotle. Uh, That's where my burrito will come from. And I got to be honest with you, Vince. Going down while you're eating it, I see why it's a big deal. Pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty, 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 pretty good. I enjoy it. Okay. Have my shift, work my shift, all the nine yards, and go to the concert, have a few beverages. It's all fine and dandy, right? I will tell you in full honesty, as honest as I've ever been, Vince. Didn't get drunk. Had a few drinks. Definitely needed to Uber home. We've all been there. But I'm a responsible adult. Didn't drive. Ubered home. Right? Vince, we had one of those moments. (laughs) We've all been there, Vince. Where now uh, I had the wherewithal enough to get out of the stadium, had the wherewithal enough to be able to open up that car window when you felt it coming up. Yep. And I felt it coming up. Now I can assure you, ladies and gentlemen, if I can get graphic for a second, the type of substance being removed from my stomach, it was solid. Okay. And I don't know if you know anything about puking, but when you puke alcohol, right? It's usually really liquidy. Really, really liquidy. And usually you only get sick from drinking a lot of alcohol if you have an excessive amount of beer or if you mix beer and liquor. Don't ever do that. Take it from me. Oh, uh, well, I, I live that life. I didn't do that. Didn't mix, only beer. And the, the stuff that came up, pretty damn solid. But I had the wherewithal enough. To open up that window and let her fly. And that's what I did. So, nothing got in that guy's car. That Uber driver's car. Did you hit somebody else's car? No. Not that I know of, but that's kind of hard. (laughs) that I know of, yes. That's kind of hard. (laughs) Some poor cab driver. if 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 I did do that and my it was projectile enough, props to me. Yeah. That's 10 points. So... I'm going to give you my grade on Chipotle in a little bit because I got to continue the story and finish up this whole story. Then you'll get my grade because I think Chipotle affects the whole thing, right? So, whole drive back from MSG to where I live in Staten Island, about an hour, right? Now, I told you last week my cousin from Ireland is in New York, right? She's hanging out, having a good time. I met her before the Foo Fighter concert and went to a bar, an Irish pub. She's from Ireland. She felt like she was at home, right? Got her a Guinness. There you go. Right? We hung out, and she decided to text me as I'm, as I'm home from the concert, right? I checked my Uber account the next morning. My Uber lands at, at my house in Staten Island at 12.11 a.m. My cousin texts me at 12.11 a.m. As I'm getting out of that car, phone vibrates from a text from my good old cousin, and the phone slides out of good old me's pocket, into the back seat of that man's car. Wonderful. I don't realize my phone's gone till the next morning. In fact, I tear my entire house. You know that feeling, Vince, when uh, you lose something and you start tearing up your entire house and you get more and more frustrated as you can't find it and you start looking in the same drawer eight times and you start unmaking your bed like eight times as expecting that it's going to now be there? Yep. You've checked the same location 1,400 times, but the 1,401st time, it'll be there. Wasn't there. Check my email. Get that classic email of, your phone was left in an Uber. Okay? Now, I've got to give it up for the people at Uber. They're good people, okay? I don't know if you know this, Vince, but, I mean, if anyone else wants to hear, it's good advice. Um, We've all been there, right? If you leave something in an Uber and they find it, they Uber makes you pay a fee, 
but you set up a, lo a safe location that you both agree to, you and the driver, of where to meet and retrieve your device or whatever you lost, right? Which is awesome, right? Good idea. Yeah. You pay a fee, so the driver's not losing money for meeting up with you, but this is what goes on, which is fine. I'm, I'm okay with that, right? Now, I pay that fee. I'm at work at one of my other employers that night, right? Tuesday night, at work, I asked the Uber driver, can you meet me at 8 p.m. when I get out of work in front of my job? He says, no, I can't do that, but I can meet you there at 7. But now, we all know, Vince, I mean, you're listening to me on the radio right now, but we all, I work in radio also, so you can't really leave. You can't really, if I have to go to the bathroom right now, I can't really get up and walk out. It's not, that's not how, that's not how radio works. No, it's a tragic part of the job, by the it way. It is, but it's how <laughs> yeah, it works. It's, it's reality. We, if we want to order food and eat during our shift, we have to order it before or after our shift. We can't just leave. So... I asked the security guard downstairs at my job, hey, my phone's going to be coming here. Can you please retrieve it? Guy says, sure. The Uber driver has said he's, he agrees to drop the phone off at 7 p.m., right? So I'm anticipating 8 p.m. when I get out of work, my phone will be there. Well, 8 p.m. comes. I get out of work. I walk downstairs into the lobby, go to the security guard. Can I have my phone? Oh, it was never dropped off. Wonderful. <laughs> and now, it's my cell phone. I want my phone, obviously. So, what do we do? We call Uber's support line. They have an emergency support line if you've lost something. How can I please retrieve my device? Because now I've been going without a cell phone for two days. Well, Vince, what does Uber tell me? They tell me, call the police. And my, my I, I'm so angry, I just tore the microphone off the table. Oh, well, that's good. It's back. It's back. I fixed it. All right. That's how aggravated I am. And fidgety I am right now telling the story. There's a lot of gesturing. So I call the police. I call the NYFPD. Get him down to my job. Now the Uber driver, he don't speak a lick of English. He can text English though. Phenomenally. Within five minutes, <laughs> respond to me in full English. Great everything. In fact, he texts me back more fluent English than my cousin from Ireland does. <laughs> Just because we speak differently. She's not, she does, she's not incoherent. But she just speaks differently, so she writes differently to me. Yeah. Where he wrote better English to me than she did, but he can't speak any English. So I got to get a Spanish-speaking police officer to come down. NYPD, as always, phenomenal. They come down, they're helpful, great, right? And they're on the phone with this guy, Uber driver, and they say to him, Uber has a rule, Vince, where... When you agree to retrieve a device, when you say, when you announce that you found a device in your car and you agree that you found this device and you say you lost one and you agree to a location, you have to return it to that location when you have to return it. If you don't and it's more than 48 hours after your thing is returned, it's not considered a crime. It's considered theft because you've announced I, I am in possession of this person's device and now you have to return it. And if you don't, it's considered theft. Well, they're on the phone with this gentleman and he tells the cop because he doesn't want to be in. The cop tells him, please return the device to this nearest precinct, which is in uptown Manhattan, right? Guy doesn't want to. Guy says if he wants his phone back, he can meet me on 176th Street in Manhattan. Which I don't know if you know how Manhattan works anyone out there, but the further up you go in the numbers, the worse the neighborhood gets. 176th Street, not a good area. So I decide very smartly that I am not driving up to 176th Street in Manhattan while he knows I don't have a cell phone. Not doing that. So the cops say to the guy, you must drop the phone off at this precinct, which is up there in Manhattan. But I told the cops, you could drop my phone off at a Burger King for all I care. As long as I know it's there and I can retrieve it, I'll go there. So it's dropped off at the precinct. Now he tells the cop on the phone because he does, he's very reluctant to drop my phone off. No, the phone is now mine. <laughs> So she says, sir, we have your license plate. If you don't return the phone, it's considered theft. Theft. He says to the officer, ever so brightly, come and get me. Like the Joker from the Dark Knight. Great move, buddy. Great move. What the hell's on your phone? Exactly. Like, what is it that That's makes what I this guy's like, oh my, I can't possibly give this up. It's not like you have a briefcase with a million dollars in it. You know what's funny? It was, it was a Tuesday. If it was a Friday and the paycheck just cleared and he saw the notification on my phone, maybe then he wants to keep it on for a little bit. Maybe Venmo himself a little, a little couple bucks. 
You can see, whatever. Yeah. No. Holding on to it. So she finally calms him down. Finally gets the phone to be agreed to be returned to the precinct, right? So I drive all the way up to 183rd Street, get to the police precinct, speak to the officer that's waiting outside, tell him my whole story, give him the whole story I just gave you, say, I'm here to pick up my phone. What does the officer say? Ain't no phone here. (laughs) So now I'm terrified. Like, I want my phone back. I'm a 23-year-old male. I got a lot going on on that phone. A lot of Snapchats to answer. (laughs) Who knows? Dirty pictures to hide. Who knows? Anna Kendrick may have slid into my Twitter DMs last night. Oh, yeah. But I didn't answer her. (laughs) So who knows? But I could be missing out. I get to the precinct, my phone's not there, and I'm ready to flip out. Little do I know, someone else is flipping out at the moment, too. Across the street, I see little old Uber driver storming at me from across the street with my phone in the air, screaming at me in a language I don't recognize. Police officer, thankfully, jumps in front of me. Three or four more police officers come out of that precinct, tackle the man to the floor, (laughs) retrieve my phone. The officer says, kid, is this your phone? I say, yeah, it is. He says, good, get the bleep out of here. So I got in my car, charged up my phone, checked my DMs. There wasn't a DM from Anna Kendrick. Oh, that's a shame. Can't believe you deleted that. And immediately called my mommy, like the mommest boy I am, to tell her what happened. She was very glad that I was safe. Does this make any sense to you? At all? Like, that's the thing that I just don't understand. It just, it doesn't make any sense. Like, is there a language barrier issue? I don't think so. You had a Spanish cop? I don't know. You, your eyebrows raised on the language barrier issue. Your eyebrows raised there. For Maybe, a but I didn't. I spoke to him on text, and he seemed he responded to my texts coherently. So he must have been fine with the response. I just wanted my phone back. Yeah, and that's the thing that's so simple and so obvious. Like it just doesn't make any sense. Here's what bothers me: creating the issue. He could have easily returned the cell phone. I pay a fee to get my phone back. So it's not like he's losing money not doing a job, not not completing a drive for someone. He's making money retrieving the phone. I just, yeah. It bothered me a lot. And to complete the whole segment of fat percentage, that was really great this week. <laughs> and before we get to Dan Lust, the sports attorney, Chipotle's grade, Vince, yeah. is a 1.8 <laughs> out of 100. Not out of 10. <laughs> 1.8 out of 100. <laughs> Chipotle, it's now been four times that I've eaten at your not-so-fine establishment. I've gotten sick all four times, and it's not blamed on the alcohol. It's just not. I had plenty few drinks that I know I can handle, no liquor, and it came up in chunks, which ain't a liquor throw-up. Okay? Chipotle, shame on you. Please, for the love of God, stop cooking with E. coli. It doesn't work. <laughs> I will say this. Here's the one benefit now to knowing that you're you're basically allergic to Chipotle. And like, they will I, never be a sponsor on the show. Here's the thing, man. Here's the thing, man. Yeah. Chipotle could come to us and offer us a million dollars a month to sponsor the show. We have sponsors on the show. Both the Card Barn and Galaxy Vinyl, I thank them very much yeah. for sponsoring the show. They pay good money to sponsor the show. I can definitively tell you, Chipotle could come and offer me any amount of money. The answer will be no. I will not endorse that product. Ever. Lifetime supply of food, though. No. Lifetime supply. It's all you can eat. I'll be dead by 23, <laughs> 24. I don't know what it is because here's the problem Vince have you ever had the experience in life where like you've been told this place is great by all of society and you go there and you just don't like it you think you're the stupid one it can't possibly be me right it has to be it has to be just me like right well yeah be society because this place is told that it's so good 
Like, it can't, it's got to be me, my stomach, right? On well, those days. Yeah, no, there are things like that. I had that with Pizza Hut. Right? I, I don't mess with Pizza Hut. I don't eat it. I refuse to eat it. I will never order it. If someone orders it, I'm eating something else. But I don't the whole world Hut. tells you it's so good, you can't help but think it's that good. And no, Chipotle's out with me. It's been four times now, and I've gotten ill every single time. Violently ill. Yeah, and for what it's worth, every time I've been to Card Barn, I don't poop. No. I, I don't have to poop. Me so either. credit to Card Barn. Every time I've gone to Galaxy Vinyl, nothing but a good experience. There you go. Never have to poop. There you go. So that's that's a quality sponsor. Exactly. <laughs> Chipotle can offer me whatever they want. I'm gonna say no. This is why you go to the Taco Bell. This is why you go this is why Taco Bell got a pen. <laughs> no. We've reviewed many great restaurants on this show, you know. We, and we're almost done here, but we've reviewed Peak at Hudson Yards and we've gone over Keen Steakhouse in Manhattan, and, and we've got we've gotten we've given you the whole array, people. We've given you date locations, we've given you fancy locations, we've given you crappy locations, but we've done the whole rigmarole. But yet, this place gets by far the worst ranking any place has ever gotten, and that's Chipotle, one point eight on the McKeon scale of food dining. Think about that. Now, I'm glad you enjoyed that story. I hope you did. I'd like to let you know that I retrieved my phone safely. Anna Kendrick, not in my DMs. My DMs consisted of my friends, Mike, Mike, Chris, and Vince Quinn. That's it. That's who DM'd me. Yeah. Great. I felt honored. I had 45 missed emails from, I don't know, StubHub, Bad Bath and, Be- Bad ba- Bed, Bath and Body Works, because you know that was a mix-up, but you, know, yeah, it's, you, you order, just made a new company. You, you order your mom a, a candle for Mother's Day six years ago, and Bed Bath and Body Works is still sending you updates as if you shop there often. Well, yeah, they they love doing that. Like I was at a place today, and they were like, "Hey, uh, do you want just to email your receipt?" It's no, like, hell no, absolutely <laughs> not. <laughs> do not. How dare you try to email me my? So receipt. I had like two Instagram DMs, like a Facebook message from someone I haven't spoken to in six years, on par for that. Nothing else. No one missed me for those two days. I was basically vanished from the planet for two days and no one realized I was gone. It's kind of nice. Yeah. It's kind of nice. Help to the ego, as one would say. <laughs> now, we will get to our interview with Dan Lust at Sports Law Lust on Twitter. You can find him. Uh, he's very interesting. Been on a lot of TV shows. Uh, definitely been... All over the sports law world. He's a very interesting guy. We asked him a lot of interesting questions. Uh, he was very generous with his time. And uh, we'll get to that in a second. But first, Vince, to get to one of our good sponsors that we both really love. Let's talk about the Card Barn. Now, I love the Card Barn. Now, and Vince, if you've realized over the last few years, the card trading, selling, buying market has gone crazy. People are selling these cards, these rookie cards for loads of money, and that could be you. I really hope, Vince, for your sake, that your mom did not throw out your old baseball cards. Because if she did, she might have taken a ton of money out of your pocket. Vince, the Card Barn is Staten Island's only premier trading card shop where they buy and sell cards for you to grow your collection or sell some off so you can start saving for, you know, your yacht in the future or your Vegas trip. The world's back open. We're all going to be going to casinos soon. You got to have some money to lose. And your old baseball cards can be that money. Vince, I'll tell you what. If you head over to 29A Nelson Avenue on Staten Island and you check them out, you can get involved in the card trading business if you still got those cards hanging around. There's money to be made, people. That's 29A Nelson Avenue. Or check out their webpage at thecardbarnnyc.com. Welcome back to New York Groove. Thank you all for continuing to listen as always. I'm joined now by a sports attorney, Dan Lust. It's This is a fun interview for me. I'm very excited. You can follow him at Sports Law Lust on Twitter. He's a sports attorney that's been heard on ESPN, CBS, Fox Sports, and he hosts the Conduct Detrimental Podcast. Dan, how are you? I'm good. I appreciate uh, the introduction. Uh, very kind of you. Now, Dan, I have a few careers. I'm an EMT on the side. I'm also a sports broadcaster, obviously, and I'm a producer. I've got a bunch of things going on. And if they all don't work out, I think I'd like to take a shot at becoming a big-time lawyer. What are we thinking, like two, three months, maybe like a six-week training course? How long do you think it would take for me to become a lawyer? Um, well, if you're in uh, any state, well, I think California allows you to just take the bar. It's the Kim Kardashian route without going to school. 
Uh, I think that's a year minimum, but most most places it's like three and change. So three months is a, a little short, a little short on that time frame. You know, I think I can handle it. It might be a hot take, but I think I'd be able to get through law school in, uh, in, all, in all seriousness. No, no. Um, I have a question about about athletes relating to their lawyer. Like, obviously, all athletes have attorneys around them and need to. When you have this much money around you and and all this fame and fortune, everything like that, you kind of need to have attorneys around you. But when you're an attorney for an athlete, how much actual attention and communication is there with the athlete? Are they always in tune usually, or is it more you talk to their people? Um. So I work uh, with a handful of athletes, a handful of uh, celebrities. Um, it is, we'll say, it's rare that the, the lawyers are having direct contact uh, with the with the clients. You know, for at a, at a high level, let's say it happens. But most people uh, pay. You know, the business people uh, they pay the legal people to do the work uh, for them. So I mean, obviously, the client has to review anything that goes out the door. But for the most part, there's always some type of uh, we'll say posse that occurs. And I guess the lawyers are, are part of the part of the uh, the team so you know it's a it's a collaborative effort it's it's funny to me how when we get into any legal problem when it comes to athletes all of the sports broadcasters all the people that are in my position immediately become lawyers we immediately have advice to give and and act like we know what's going on with this situation and meanwhile we have no idea so one of the hot button issues when it comes to athletes and their legal rights of the last decade plus has been college athletes not being able to profit off their names. Now, we've gained a lot of traction lately on moving in the direction of them being able to make profit off their names, but we're still not totally there. Update me and update my crowd. Who, how close are we? How close are we to actually these athletes being able to profit off their name in college? Well, it's more of a question uh, of where as opposed to when. Uh, The when is pretty much set in stone. That's July 1st. Uh, really a couple couple days away at this point. Um, but July 1st is the first time in our country where states will be compelled uh, to uh, compelling schools within the state to allow them, uh, allow students, you know, be it, uh, I guess we should go probably into the schools, the six, six states across our country, uh, Florida, Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, uh, and uh, the latest, the sixth one is Texas. Um, but, you know, those six states are basically in a position that have passed name, image, and likeness rules which the easy, easiest way I can explain this, they're not going to get paid some type of salary or some stipend by the school. It's something kind of akin to like an entrepreneurship license. If you have 100,000 followers on, on TikTok, you can make money, right? You can use um, you know, products, you can endorse them. It's a way for you to be able to use your name, image, and likeness to endorse a type of product, be it a Gatorade or a sneaker deal or some, something like that. So those six states as of July 1st, those laws are going into effect. Uh, and as for the rest of the 44 states in our country, some of them there are, have passed laws. Maybe I think it's another 15 or so uh, that will not will go into effect at some point after July 1st. And then there's the other, you know, 30 states in our country that have zero. So uh, put it this way: if you were a kid deciding between going to Florida and going to Tennessee, uh, going to U of F, Miami, uh, you know, or, or the University of Tennessee, the schools in Florida have a decisive recruiting edge because if you go to school within the state of Florida. As of July 1st, you can make money off your name, image, and likeness. So uh, we're about to see a seismic uh, recruiting advantage because this is happening. Whether NCAA wants it or not, uh, it's happening on July 1st. And the fact that we went so long without that being an ability, the fact that a 16-year-old in this country can make fortunes and millions off of TikTok dances, but athletes with their posters on the sides of stadiums couldn't make money off their name. It's just ridiculous to me that we went that long. Now, uh, another big legal issue uh, that's going on in sports right now, the Deshaun Watson situation, it's been kept quiet the last couple of weeks now. We haven't really heard much of it, but still is a big hot button issue. And with mini camps coming up, uh, where's our update on Deshaun Watson? Where, where, where is the situation at? And what's the league going to do when the season winds up starting? So uh, we'll say it's a ticking time bomb, uh, ticking, let's say a PR time bomb. So, you know, there's a couple different clocks that we have to watch. So as of today, there's only been these civil lawsuits filed. We went from, you know, two to five to 10 to 15. And now, you know, the latest count uh, was a little over 20. So people thought that number was going to balloon. It actually stayed at 22. So um, take that uh, for what it's worth. Um, so just so people understand, there are criminal lawsuits and there are civil lawsuits. The easiest way to explain this, right, the O.J. Simpson case, O.J. beat the criminal charges, which were, uh, you know, you have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt. It's a very high burden. And the civil cases with a lower burden, it's something called preponderance of the evidence. It's something like 
if you could prove guilt above 51%, you're going to convict a guy. So um, a civil case can be brought by anyone. That's why the burden of proof is a little bit lower, just a 51%. And the beyond a reasonable doubt, that's why people watch Law & Order, all these fancy shows, those can only be brought by the district attorney's office. So if criminal charges are brought against you, that means that the district attorney is confident that they can convict you beyond a reasonable doubt, which is like 90% uh, seriousness. So here are the time bombs, right? So you have 20 civil cases, you know, um, and the question is whether criminal charges will result. And if criminal charges will result, there's a very big suspension that will come from the NFL. That's just how it works. If there's criminal charges, there's a suspension. If there's civil charges, there's not always a suspension. So, yeah, we're still kind of waiting for the shoe to drop. And the closer we get to the start of the season, the more the NFL is going to have to make a decision. Right now, Watson's just saying, hey, I'm holding out of camp. It's a contract dispute, whatever he wants to claim. But, you know, you're asking people behind the scenes, he's not going to camp because it's a bad look for the Texans, for him, for the NFL. So the closer we get to camp, uh, the more the NFL is going to have to make a decision whether or not the criminal, you know, the criminal side of this wants to collaborate. That's fine. But NFL has got to make a decision on this before the season starts. In your eyes, week one, is he on the field for the Texans or no? Uh, gun to my head, probably not. Um, I, there's, there's a mechanism called the commissioner's exempt list, which allows you uh, to suspend someone while a criminal investigation is pending. Uh, I think that's the most likely track for Deshaun Watson at this point. And you also said, Brian, uh, on the field for the Texans. I think there's also, uh, I put a poll up just to just to see what people's thoughts were, but you know, I think it's just as likely that he's hit with criminal charges as he gets traded. Uh, and uh, maybe someone wants to buy him, you know, at 30 cents on the dollar and uh, just deal with the headache, beat the Broncos, beat the Eagles. Um, but those trade rumors haven't stopped. So I, I think it's uh, fair to say that he might be uh Uh, at least in someone else's uniform, even though not on the field. And that's the smartest move for me if you're the Texans at this point. Just trade him. You're going to trade him for less, but get that PR headache out and just rebuild your team. Now, something I wanted to ask you about, too, because clearly you follow all sports and you have a little bit of a a different viewpoint on them because you're from a legal standpoint. Uh, Baseball's got so many issues going on right now. It's not aesthetically pleasing to the eye. I have no idea how a nine-year-old gets into baseball like I got into it when I was nine years old now. Baseball is clearly heading into a uh, a labor dispute coming in 2022. They're not going to play the season. There's going to be a lockout. You see scenarios with Josh Donaldson calling out Garrett Cole. Now the players' union is fighting. Uh, I know you look at this from more of a legal standpoint. Obviously, it's going to become a legal issue. Uh, From your perspective, is it 100%, 70%, 20% that we have a lockout coming into next year? I mean, we, every time there's a CBA that comes up, everyone talks about a like a lockout or a strike uh, on the other end. You know, lockout would be from the owner's perspective, strike, strike from the player's perspective. You know, as much as we talk about it, it's seldom times where it actually happens. I remember, uh, you know, I think the most recent example was 2012 with the NBA. Uh, and then obviously, you know, the 94 season was, was cut short in baseball way back when. It's threatened a lot. It doesn't always happen, right? Cooler heads tend to prevail. Um, but this is an interesting animal. Uh, what we saw, it just it's just kind of odd. We basically almost had a CBA negotiation during the pandemic uh, with, you know, they're trying to return back to the field. So you're going to have two really heightened uh, fights uh, in basically 365 days. And then what the, you know, which also is not that typical, the Players Association has levied against Major League Baseball, the owners, uh, this $500 million grievance alleging that the owners delayed the start of the season on purpose to save money in their wallets because the fewer games that were played during a pandemic, the thought was, that it was costing owners money. So they're alleging that this massive, you know, bad faith grievance that you guys delayed, you know, the owners delayed the season on purpose. So there's a couple elements that aren't normally there for CBA negotiations. So whatever the percentage normally is, let's say, uh, put an arbitrary number, let's say it's 20% normally. I'd say it's a little bit higher this time around. So uh, Brian, if your inclination, if you're a glass half empty type of guy, uh, I I think you have reason to think that this time around. I was telling my producer, Vince, uh, like last week or the week before, he better get to a baseball game by the end of this year because you're not going to see one next year. His name is Dan Lust from the Conduct Detrimental Podcast. Two more for you, Dan. Um, I don't know if you saw the Vince Wilfork story. Um, His son stole his Super Bowl rings and a bunch of memorabilia from him and now, uh, Vince, the son's been pressed charges against. Vince Wolfwork pressed charges against his own son because he stole memorabilia from him. If the son lives in the house um, and it's kind of like under his roof, too, uh, have you seen anything like this before where someone's pressing legal charges against their own child? Um, 
you know, outside of like the Maury show and Jerry Springer, not <laughs> doesn't happen that that often. Um, yeah, it's a it's an odd case. So I yeah, I saw it, I saw it come across my timeline. Um, you know, it, it's funny. Vince Wolfork back on May 10th said, "Hey, I think he made a public report. My stuff is missing. He was trying to move houses and he noticed it was missing. So his son, um, you know, I think it's it's uh, it's out there on the on the Google machine, but was dismissed from uh, you know his college football program once upon a time. So. Yeah, it's it's odd. Um, you know, I I have a, I have a two or close to a two year old, and I have another little girl on the way. I don't know. I, it's uh, let's just say it, pursuing pressing charges against your your own uh, flesh and blood. I, I don't know. Maybe there's other reasons to do it. Maybe you need to send a message to someone, right? Uh, the whole whole host of reasons. Uh, but it, it's not it's not that typical. But um, you know, some of the stuff has already been sold, and I think the at least the part that I was kind of digging into in this story. Uh, Will Fork didn't really know where the stuff was, but a collector got in touch with Will Fork and like showed him that he had this, whatever it was, the ring or whatever it was. So yeah, I'm sure Will Fork is, is not too happy about it if the reports are true. So I don't know, maybe he's sending a message. So uh, we'll, we'll see, but definitely an odd story. So, so in a scenario like this though, just to confirm you, you, you can press charges on your son, right? Like there's nothing against that, right? You can also cut your son out of your will. You could do any number of sons oh, just God. because I, I uh, you're flesh and blood. Dad, yeah, Dad, well. <laughs> my, my father listens to this show. Uh, I just want to let him know. Uh, I don't think Dan's totally accurate on that, uh, Dad. I'm not sure. Um, Dan, one more thing. Um, I got in contact with you through a friend. Uh, my friend Jessica goes to New York Law School where you teach. And uh, listen, she's she's going after the bar and she's trying to like finish up and become a lawyer. I need you to do me a favor here, okay? Um, I need you to keep her ego in check. All right, now she's you got you got to give her some harder assignments coming into next semester. You know, maybe change her tests up and make her questions a little harder. All right, we don't need her skating through that this easier. All right, because I need her to become a great lawyer. Because uh, if when I need a divorce in the future or when I need a good lawyer, you know, I need her on my side. So just do me a favor, just uh, you know, keep her ego in check next semester. All right. Or when you need a lawyer to challenge your dad getting uh, cutting you out of the will. That's that's when you need the big guns. Exactly. His name is Dan Lust. You can find him on Twitter at Sports Law Lust. He's a sports attorney, and he's uh, got the Conduct Detrimental podcast. Dan, thanks for giving us some time here. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it. That'll do for episode six of New York Groove. I want to thank my special guest, Dan Lust, the sports attorney. You can find him at Sports Law Lust on Twitter. I want to thank my esteemed producer, Vince Quinn. Vince, I got a story for you. Some food for thought on the way out. Vince, it turns out BuzzFeed is reporting that the truth behind Finding Nemo could really mess with your head. Apparently, Finding Nemo is based on the father in denial that his son, Nemo, is not dead. He keeps looking for him, and we're living inside of the father's mind throughout the entire movie on his quest to find his son that is not actually alive. The father is delusional the entire time, and we're living inside his mind. In fact, the only way that the story could be broken is if Dory, who didn't have a memory that goes by every five seconds, were able to tell the father that Nemo's gone. But the father is in denial that Nemo's gone, and Dory can't remember that Nemo's gone. So, Vince, I've realized this. It turns out... After all these years, that Finding Nemo is not a children's movie after all. It's one of the great psychological thrillers of our lifetime. That'll do it for episode six of New York Groove. Okay.